Tim Blankenship here, Divorce661.com. We're back this Wednesday, December 6, 2023, going live at 5 o'clock here. Uh, lots to talk to you about. This is the Daily Perspective, episode 38, Day in the Life of an LDA. That's a legal document prepared. That's what I am. That's what I do. Kind of like a paralegal, but uh, on steroids. That's probably the easiest way to explain that. Got a lot for you today. I'm going to talk about the work that we got completed today, and then I'm um, going to talk about a lot of stuff. Five steps you can take on how to prepare for a divorce in advance, like what things to do before you file. I'm going to talk about five tips on effective communication strategies to use when going through a divorce. And we're going to talk about 10 myths about the divorce the divorce process that I will debunk. So again, lots for you. All right, what do we have today? Today was a judgment day. I had lots of judgments come in. Uh, people signed their paperwork, and we I had to prep them all and finalize them. When it's LA County, it's all e-signed and e-filed and e-notarized, so I don't have to kill any trees. But when it's every other county, I have to make I have to have clients sign, notarize, mail into my office, and then I prep, make a bunch of copies, and uh, submit to court. So uh, we had three consultations today. Um, one new case filed. Uh, we did a San Mateo e-file today and got it back uh, next day. So we filed it yesterday, got it back today. So about only a day for uh, e-file with San Mateo, which is nice. Some courts like Orange are three or four business days, even longer, even though it's e-file. Um, had two approved divorce cases. Uh, an Orange County case approved uh, about three months is what the review time. That's pretty much been the standard all year long. And I had a Contra Costa approval today as well, which takes forever always with Contra Costa. One thing that was interesting about this Contra Costa case is it had been in processing for like six months. And normally every court that in the last 12 years I've done this, your divorce, final divorce date will either be the day that it's approved by the court or the six months, whatever is later. And in this case, this so this divorce was approved in November and they backdated the divorce to be six months and a day from the date of service, which was like July of this year. I've never seen that happen before. I don't, I know there's a lot of new clerks. I don't know if they misunderstood that, but I'm sure um, my client was happy to realize that he's been divorced for six months as opposed to it was just uh, divorced uh, today. So um, three, the three judgments that we prepared today, people got their terms to me. I was able to wrap up their cases. Uh, this was for LA County. We had an orange County Oh, four of them actually. LA County, Orange County, Santa Barbara, and Riverside. Got those all submitted to court. Those are going out. So if that's you and you're you're one of my clients and you're in those counties, your case was finalized, although we have multiple clients, obviously. Okay, let's get into the conversation and topics here. We're going to talk about, number one, five steps you can take on how to prepare for divorce in advance. I have a bunch of notes I'm going to go over with here, and let's get started. Okay, preparing for divorce in advance can be wise and practical step to take even before filing for divorce. Here are five things you can do. I told you I took notes. <clears throat> Number one, financial assessment. Review your financial situation thoroughly. Gather documents related to income, assets, debts, and expenses. Understanding your financial picture will be crucial during the divorce process. And not only is it crucial, but it's also a part of the disclosure process. So it will be good to get that all in alignment so you're not scrambling trying to dig those up. Simply start gathering credit card statements, bank statements. Uh, just get a most recent one. You, you know, Print out your mortgage statement. 
um, vehicle registrations, you know, that way you have like your make model license plate and all the information you'll need for the settlement. Just gather all that stuff up. So, you know, again, so you're not scrambling in the middle of a divorce trying to get all this information because if you end up working with me, I will need you to provide, I don't need the copies. That's just for disclosure between you and your spouse, but I do need the account numbers, license plates of vehicles, you know, make sure you get your pension information, 401k information. We need full names and account numbers to list those on the uh, settlement agreement. And that's whether or not you are keeping 100% of your own uh, pension, 401k vehicle, et cetera, or dividing it. We still want to include that on the settlement agreement. So it'd be good to get that together. It'll also help you with the settlement terms because you're going to be able to see, hey, we go X amount, we owe on credit cards. Here's what the loan is on the vehicle and maybe pull a Kelly Blue Book. And this is what the Kelly Blue Book says the value is. If you guys are trying to figure out what would be an equal division of assets and debts. And then you also going to want to you know, have uh, maybe your last tax return. You're going to want to maybe last a couple of pay stubs because if you're going to want to uh, have child support or spouse support as part of your settlement and you don't have an agreed upon amount already in mind and you want us to run some child support numbers for you, we can do that. But we would need to know what those incomes are uh, so you can provide those to us. Number two, budget planning. Create a post-divorce budget that outlines your expected expenses and income. Consider how your financial situ situation will change after divorce, including child support or alimony payments, if applicable. So that's probably one of the biggest concerns clients have is what is their financial future going to look like post-divorce? You have one set of income, you and your spouse's income, one set of expenses, the home you live in, apartment, et cetera, and you have that financial plan in place. You put money aside, you put money into your 401ks, whatever you do, car payments, and then you have a budget, right? That's going to completely change post-divorce because now you're going to have your one or two incomes, whether both of you are working or one of you are working. And now you're going to have two sets of expenses. You're gonna, there's going to be two household expenses, unless you continue to live together, which some of my clients are, but you're going to have your now rent or your new mortgage or whatnot. Keep in mind, if you're buying out your spouse of the house you're, and your interest rate goes up and you're now refinancing more, your payment's going to go up in addition to uh, paying for that all on your own as opposed to the combined income, assuming you both were working. And again, as it referenced, paying alimony and child support and or receiving alimony and child support, what does that look like when it, when this is all over with? and your divorce is approved and you've moved out and you guys are living separately, what does that look like? So you're going to want to start to create a budget, if you will, what your financial scene will look like post-divorce. Um, and that might help you assess as far as how much alimony or child support you might need. And, or if you're the paying spouse, how much you can, you know, I don't want to say use the word afford because that's not how that works, but you know, what can you guys negotiate that works for both of you? I always say, when you're going from this scenario, if, you're, if your budget was already tight living together, it's going to become even more tight living apart. And that's the downside to that. Legal consultation. Uh, this I, I wrote, you know, consult with an attorney to understand the divorce laws in your jurisdiction and, and your rights and responsibilities. Having legal advice early can help. And, and that's true. Not all of my clients and probably very few of the people that work with me actually ever consulted with an attorney. You can find a lot of the information about community property laws and how, how things are divided and how alimony and child support works and custody and all that. You can find all that online. Um, most of my clients are doing it that way or they're just asking me, you know, Tim, how does it how does it work? Um, but if you have no 
clue at all. You have no idea what the process is. It's not a bad idea to consult with an attorney consultation. I had yesterday, she had consulted with an attorney and saved me from having to explain how it all works. I don't give people legal advice on the phone or at all, but I will tell people it's up to you how you want to divide it. But generally, you know, here's how community property laws work, et cetera. Just Google that term and you'll figure out how community property works. We work with only amicable clients. So we're not, we don't have folks asking questions like, how can I avoid paying child support or how can I avoid paying spouse support or how can I reduce spouse support or how can I take advantage of my spouse? We don't have any of that going on here. But if you, if you, you know, if you want to have a consultation with an attorney, by all means, um, do that and basically have them read to you what your rights are. And that way you can make informed decisions in your divorce. Even if you're working with me, it doesn't mean you have to hire the attorney, walk away with your, your consultation, your legal advice. You now can make informed decisions, sit down with your spouse, work it out, and then come to me and we can put you through the divorce process. Number four, emotional support. Seek emotional support from friends, family, or a therapist. Divorce can be emotionally challenging, and having a support system in place is essential for your well-being. So that's, you know, take it or leave it. I'm not a therapy person, um, but I know many people are. I, I think if you're working with me, you're going through a relatively amicable divorce, so the emotional, I don't want to say issues, but stress and and everything that divorce can cause, I think that will be minimized simply by the fact that you guys are amicable because that's that's how everyone is that's working with me. I know there's various levels of people being amicable. So uh, I'm sure there's still some stress in it, financial or otherwise, um, or emotional. So um, if you need that help, that you can always get that as part of the process. Number five, co-parenting plans. If you have children, start thinking about a co-parenting plan that prioritizes their well-being. Discuss custody arrangements, visitation schedules, and how you and your ex-spouse will make decisions regarding your children. Talked about this in yesterday's daily perspective. Doing what doing what's right and what's in the best interest of your children is always going to give you the best result, as opposed to trying to come up <clears throat> with a custody order with what's most important to you or your in your benefit. Um, and on that topic, you know, you don't have to have a very specific parenting plan. Some clients do. They'll come to us and they have it all figured out. Some just say, you know what? We've been separated for six months and we, um, we've just been co-parenting. We call each other, text each other, and we kind of have a basic plan. Nothing in writing, but it works. And that's fine. Most of our uh, custody plans simply say joint legal and physical custody with no specific details on who the kids are with and when. You guys are free to... to um, do that on an ongoing basis, and you don't have to have a specific custody order to that effect. I'd probably say 90-ish percent of our, our divorce cases with children simply says joint legal and physical custody, reasonable right of visitation, and you guys just figure it out. All right, so that was the top five issues uh, to, to take care of before you file for divorce. Hopefully that uh, helps you guys out. I will break these down into individual videos as well, so you don't necessarily have to watch the whole video. <clears throat> now we're going to talk about effective communication strategies to use when going through a divorce and dealing with your spouse to have an ultimate, ultimate best response. Um, <clears throat> number one, open and honest communication. Isn't that funny? That keeps coming up. Yesterday it came up as uh, one of the secrets and tools to have an amicable divorce was to have open and honest communication. Emphasize the importance of open and honest communication with your spouse during the divorce process. Encourage 
listeners to express their needs, concerns, and expectations clearly and respectfully. I was talking yesterday about, you know, try and keep emotion at bay, try and make it more like a business decision. If you guys were able to do that, you will get through this amicably. Try, you know, try not to leave like the reason you're getting divorced to, to cloud your judgment on decisions you're making and, and, and frustrate you. And then you just run out and get an attorney when really you didn't need one. And then you spend all this money unnecessarily. Um, the open and honest communication, as I mentioned yesterday, begins with talking before you ever file for divorce. Make sure you explain to your spouse that, hey, you know, obviously there's been things that have come up and you probably have talked or the word divorce has come up. But before you actually pull the trigger, especially with me, um, I, I'm going to want you to speak to your spouse and say, hey, I'm moving this forward. I spoke with Tim at Divorce 661 because once you engage with me, you know, we start sending out emails and welcome videos and we get everyone onboarded so they understand the amicable divorce process we're about to put you through. And we want to make sure that everyone is on the same page. So they're not getting an email saying, um, you know, looking forward to working with you, help, helping you with your divorce. And they had no idea divorce was coming. Number two, active listening skills. Discuss the value of active listening. Explain how active listening involves not only hearing the words, but also understanding the emotions <clears throat> and, and I lost track of where I'm at, where's my and, and intentions behind them. Share tips on how to practice active listening to above, improve communication. So the, the, I've talked to some therapists. I've interviewed a lot of folks uh, over the years, and I went through this year, I probably interviewed 30, 40 different various <clears throat> Um, therapists, counselors, you know, marriage counselors, dating coaches, you know, all, all of that marriage, they even call them marriage coaches as, as well, or divorce coaches. And they were saying how, yes, you need to have open and honest communication, but that you also need to listen. And I jokingly said, well, how can I listen if I'm already trying to think of what I'm going to respond to what you say as soon as you're done talking? And so I think we all can improve our listening skills and our communication skills, but I think you're going to want to fully understand, like the notes I had here, um, understand why someone's asking for what they're asking for in the divorce, get, you know, the emotion behind it and try and get a, an understanding because that's what communication is. Listen, you both are uh, communicating, you both are listening, and then you're going to um, digest that information and hopefully come to an understanding and then ultimately an agreement on the terms of your divorce. Number three, setting boundaries. Boundaries are going to be important. We talk about the significance of setting healthy boundaries with your ex-spouse. Explain clear boundaries. You guys should have some clear boundaries. Maybe that's about while you're going through the divorce boundaries inside the house. Um, boundaries about when you guys talk about divorce in the process. If you guys are still living together, like many of my clients are, maybe say, hey, we don't, you know, we don't come home and just randomly start talking about the divorce. We don't do it before maybe dinner. If you guys are still having dinner together, maybe make sure everyone's fed, you know, so you're not, you're not, you're not hangry at each other and having the divorce consult conversation. Maybe <laughs> if it's the weekend and you, you know, had a few cocktails, maybe that's not the best idea. Um, to start talking about the terms of your divorce because um, you definitely want to reduce misunderstandings. So that's what I have for you for setting boundaries. I think those are all pretty reasonable. Number four, talk about conflict resolution techniques. This kind of goes to um, 
being open, honest communication and listening um, and just not letting it get to the point where it becomes an argument. Maybe take breaks um, when you can, when you, I know if I'm having a conversation with my spouse about who knows what, and there's a disagreement, then I think it becomes then you're trying to sell your argument or your point to your spouse to get them to see your point of view. I think maybe if we, at that point, you take a break on the conversation or you say, well, you know, let's each of us explain our point of view on this particular topic and then see if you guys um, can uh, come to an under understanding. Stay calm during discussions. Seek to compromise. Uh, I was talking yesterday that, you know, you, you don't, if you're going to win, like you're going to get something and feel like you're the winner in your divorce, you get more assets, you get more debts, whatever, then obviously your spouse is losing. And that's generally not where you want to be, unless that's what you guys agree to. We put together uh, settlement agreements all the time that are lopsided one way or the other. One spouse is getting more assets or one spouse is getting more debts. As I tell you, the courts don't care um, what you guys do as long as it, you guys are in agreement. Number five, co-parenting communication. Um, there are going to be challenges in co-parenting, obviously, the separate households. Um, you know, advice on maintaining a cooperative and child-centered approach. Again, going back to best interests of the children. Maybe don't argue in front of them. Maybe don't talk bad about the other parent to them. Don't use them as a method of communication, like tell dad this or tell mom that. Uh, we're passing messages maybe just treat them as you always did. I don't think in a normal relationship, you you know, when you guys are married and together and living, cohabitating, that you should say things to your child to tell your spouse. So just keep all of those same tools or, or same uh, processes that you've done in the past. Keep those all in. Okay, so we've talked about the five steps you can t uh, take on how to prepare for divorce. Talked about five tips on effective communication strategies. I think those two things went hand in hand. That's why I wanted to bring those up. Now we're going to talk about 10 myths about the divorce. I'm going to debunk these myths. And it's basically things I've talked about in the past, but it's just written as something incorrect <coughs> that we can then uh, explain what the truth is. So 10 myths about divorce. Where did number one go? Okay, for some reason, I'm starting on number four, but it's actually number one. Okay, number one, myth. You must have grounds for divorce in California. Fact, California is a no-fault divorce state, meaning you don't need specific grounds for divorce. Irreconcilable differences are sufficient to file for divorce. That is how it works. You do not have to have a reason for the divorce, plain and simple. Some states, you do have to um, cite a reason. Um, you don't. Well, I'm going to get into the next one, but we don't need to do that just yet. So no no fault means irreconcilable differences, even if it's a bad reason. Even just you, I've had cases where people said, Tim, we love each other. We just um, went different directions and, you know, we, we want to be divorced. But other than that, there's no issues. Um, that's that's grounds enough because you don't need grounds. Um, and uh, it's not stated in the petition. It's not stated anywhere in the settlement. It's not brought up at all. The court doesn't care. Even if you went to trial, the court doesn't care what the reasons are. Uh, it doesn't matter who the filing party is. If, if like your husband wants the divorce and you are going to end up filing, that's fi it's fine. Uh, even if you didn't want it, 
Uh, we do that all the time. People just want to, you know, they don't, if they realize that, well, my, I don't want to be divorced, but my spouse doesn't want to be married to me. And I guess I don't want that. You know, I don't want to be married to someone who doesn't want to be married to me. So let's just get this going. And I want it to be amicable, you know? Um, so no grounds. Number two myth. Mothers always get custody of children, man. You guys really get upset. <coughs> Excuse me. You guys get upset when I, um, uh, talk about custody or child support. I got people, Telling me, you know, what am I talking about? Stop giving bad legal advice. First of all, I'm not giving legal advice. Um, I'm just ta talking to you from a procedural standpoint. Um, but, uh, and with this myth, mothers always get custody of the children. I'm sure there's cases that go to court where judges make decisions and orders and, and it's going to, it's going to skew one way or the other. Maybe a judge always leans one way or the other. I see talk on certain, you know, in, in chats and whatnot in forums where you know people are upset or the fathers think like they don't get custody and all that. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that's out there. I'm not going to discount that, but like with my service, that's not how it works. You guys call the shots, whatever you guys agree to. Most of our agreements are joint legal and physical custody it may not be exactly 50, 50 timeshare. It doesn't have to be, it can still be joint legal, joint physical, and maybe mom's not working and she has 80% timeshare just by default. Cause that's where the kids sleep, but it doesn't mean you have to, um, document it that way. Um, if you're the only time that the percentages really matter is if you're using it for the calculation for uh, child support. Number three myth: you must be separated for a certain time period before filing divorce. Fact: there's no mandatory separation period before filing for divorce in California. You can file as soon as you decide the marriage is irreparable. Most, I shouldn't say most, I, I know half my clients are still living together when we file for divorce. Their, their question is, Tim, um, what do we use for the date of separation? We're still living together. If that's the case, I would say you would use a date that you discussed divorce in the past, um, a date maybe you started living on separate rooms or in the couch. Um, at, at a minimum, we'll just use the date that you hire me as the date of service because that's the, you know, we need to put a date of separation on um, the petition. Um, because the court needs to know how long the marriage was. So don't have to be separated. You can live together. Um, in fact, you can continue to live together post-divorce. The court's not going to come make sure you moved out. Uh, we have people living together, uh, quite a few clients, just in this last uh, month where um, they have no intention of moving out just because the cost of living. They're still going to share the mortgage. They're going to probably, you know, I don't know what their living situation is. They're going to probably sleep in different rooms or whatnot, but they're going to split the mortgage. It's better than them selling, especially with interest rates and all that. And they're just going to make it work um, because of the high cost of living. Number four, myth. Divorce is all expensive. Fact, while divorce can be costly, it doesn't have to bankrupt you. Options like mediation, collaborative divorce, that's what I do, can be more cost effective than litigation. Now, what I do, you know, collaborative divorce, mediation, legal document preparation, paralegal services, you know, the amicable divorce. It's not for everybody. Um, some people need attorneys. Maybe you're amicable, you're, you want it to be a cooperative, amicable divorce, but your spouse is hiding assets or closing accounts, removed you from health, you know, doing nasty things. You're going to need an attorney for that. Don't call me if that's going on because I don't take care of those things. You're going to need an attorney, but it doesn't have to be expensive. We use flat fees here. We always have. Um, I work with both parties all the way through, so you don't have to get separate services. You know, it, it, you have one neutral third party in my service versus you guys going out and getting two individual attorneys charging $300 an hour versus my flat fees. Um, and also that's cost effective is I don't have to have both of you pay the court fee because I'm handling it as a neutral. We can get you through on one court fee. 
Okay. I'm even taking throat lozenges. I know I my throat gets dry when I talk so much, but um, it's still I still got to drink some water during these uh, long uh, videos. So we're at one, two, three, four, five. Myth: Alimony is automatic for the lesser earning spouse. Fact: Alimony, spouse support, same thing by the way, isn't always awarded. Courts consider various factors such as the length of the marriage and each spouse's financial situation. When determining alimony. So that's true. And I'm not going to get into the specifics. If you want to look it up, it's called 4320 factors. Uh, it's family code section at 4320. Um, look it up. And there's 11, I think it's A through J. So 11 things, different things that, that the court would look at uh, in assigning spouse support. I don't get into that because our clients don't go to court. Our clients are coming to us with either an agreement for support, whether there be some or not. And if they agree, but they don't know the amount, like a case of this Riverside case I just finalized today, they wanted me to run the numbers for them. And uh, basically said, Tim, here's our incomes. They sent me their pay stubs. I inputted that into the um, the court's uh, spouse support calculator and it spits out a number. And I tell folks, you can use that number, you can go higher, you can go lower, but just use it as a tool. Uh, a lot of people use the number that it calculates. Some people go a little higher, a little lower. There's no right or wrong method, just whatever you guys ultimately agree to. But sometimes people say, Tim, we have no idea. Should it be $500, $1,000, $3,000? We don't even know where to start the conversation. And that's where us running the spouse support calculation can um, can help you out. Number six, myth, property is always split 50-50 in a divorce. Fact, California follows community property laws, but property division doesn't have to be exactly 50-50. It should be fair and just considering various factors. So I can tell you that right off the bat. The courts do not look at any level of fairness when you go through an amicable divorce. When, you, when you're going through my process, you guys call the shots. In fact, the courts have absolutely no idea how to ascertain whether or not the agreement is fair or not because we never list values of the assets uh, that you guys are keeping. So they don't know, you know, when we say you're keeping this credit card, they don't know if there's a dollar owed on it, $0 or, you know, $500,000. They don't know. They don't know what the values are. They just know you're being assigned these assets and debts that you're going to be responsible for and keep. And then same for your spouse. So they couldn't ascertain the level of fairness in it, even if they wanted to, which they don't. So um, you guys get to make those decisions. And and when it ta I talk about it being fair and just considering various factors, that could mean maybe um, you uh, one spouse is going to take on more debt. And for that reason, there's not going to be spouse support because that's going to kind of offset that. So there, it, it's not always a clean, clear, you know, dividing our assets. Although we, we have put those together where we had one last month where they literally – divided everything down the middle, every single asset and debt. And I asked him, I said, is that really your intention? Because I haven't really seen that happen in like 12 years where I literally wanted the settlement agreement to say everything's being divided. Because uh, I said, you can assign this, that, you know, and offset. And, you know, so it, it ends up being fair, but we don't have to say it's being split 50-50. But that's what they wanted. And that's fine. And apparently they were going to sell everything and, and split everything and whatever proceeds came from the vehicles and all that, um, they were, they were going to just split down the middle. And that's fine. But it doesn't have to be that way. Myth, you can hide assets to avoid division. Fact, attempting to hide assets during divorce is illegal and can result in severe consequences, including fines and penalties. 
So that goes back. I don't have that issue. Or if I, if we do, I don't know about it because our clients are coming to us and they, they're, they're aware of all the assets and debts they're doing their disclosure process. They're aware of what's going on. Uh, but it does happen. I worked for an attorney. I worked for the courts in the past for doing this and people hide assets all the time. They have to get forensic accountants. They have to uh, subpoena documents. It gets ugly and very, very costly. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's people out there trying to hide them, but keep in mind things like, uh, pensions. If you say, Hey, I didn't, I didn't list my pension. I'm hiding it and, and so forth. Excuse me. <clears throat> then, um, you know, and you go to retire, they're going to, when you go to retire, they're going to say, you know, the pension company is going to say, oh, oh, we need a copy of your divorce decree and it's not going to be listed on there. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to freeze the pension, uh, and they're going to assign, you know, community property share to your spouse. And you're not going to be able to collect. I've had it happen. I, I think people, uh, these weren't cases where people were hiding assets. They just forgot to list their pension. They did their own divorce paperwork. And uh, they, they knew about the pension. They were just going to keep 100% of it. So they thought, well, I guess I don't need to list it if I'm keeping it. And uh, no, it doesn't work that way. You still need to include that on the settlement because if it's left silent, it's not addressed, the the your, your pension plan is going to assume community property laws apply. I've done a couple... Um, settlement, not settlement agreements, but modifications to judgments to include this uh, missing asset, generally a pension. Um, so it could be uh, confirmed to the petitioner or respondent as their sole and separate property. So we could update the judgment so they can then send that to the plan to say, oh, I see now your spouse isn't getting any of that. And then they can proceed. Until that time, people have been held up from retiring because they didn't have proper documentation in their settlement agreement. Myth, you can't modify child support or custody orders backed. Child support and custody orders can be modified if there's a significant change in circumstances, such as changes in income or the child's needs. So I'm going to come at you in two directions with this. One, from an amicable standpoint and from maybe where you don't agree. So if you guys agree and you want to modify terms of child support or custody orders or anything, we can simply do that through a, filing a a stipulation or a modification to your judgment. You guys say, Tim, this is what we agreed to in the past. This is what we want to change. Maybe your, um, what are some of the ones we did this month? Um, increase in spouse support, uh, decrease in spouse support, increase in child support, stopping spouse support altogether, changing some custody terms. Um, we had someone who um, was going to, they were going to sell the house and split the proceeds. Now he wants to keep the house and use the pension as a buyout. All of these things can be modified post-judgment as long as you guys agree. We draft a stipulation, you sign it, we file it, done deal. To these notes that I'd come up with, if it's not amicable, um, and let's say you want to modify child support or custody orders, you do have to have, you know, you have to file a motion, you have to state the facts, state, state the reasons. Maybe, you know, you have a 80-20 custody order and child support <clears throat> is attached to that, but then there, or I'm sorry, let me back up. You have a 50 50 timeshare, and child support's calculated based on 50%. So it's lower than it normally would, but your spouse hasn't seen your kids in three months or three years or whatever. And you're like, hey, we need to modify the custody because not only is he not seeing the kids, but he's paying child support. I shouldn't say he, but he's, you know, the child support's being paid um, based on 50%, and it should be much more if it's, you know, closer to 100%. So if those were, you know, if you talked to your spouse and you guys talked about that and like, no, I'm not going to agree to the changing that then that's when you would probably get an attorney, draft a motion, file it, get a court date, present your facts to court and see what the judge says about that. 
<clears throat> All right, myth number nine. You need your spouse's consent to get a divorce. Fact, you don't need your spouse's consent to file for divorce. In California, one spouse can file unilaterally. So while you don't need consent, you know, if you want to do this amicably, you guys should definitely talk first. I think we opened this conversation up um, with that. Definitely be on the same page, but where spouses um, say don't want to get, get divorced, we'll have clients where they'll, in the consultation, they'll say, Tim, I want to file, uh, or they did file in this one most recent case, but my spouse just doesn't want to be divorced. So he's not going to sign anything. Um, they're not going to cooperate. And they're, he just he does not want to be divorced. He wants to keep, stay in the marriage. The wife has already moved on. And those can be very challenging. So while the while your spouse can't stop you from filing, they can make it very difficult to finalize it, especially where there's assets and debts and kids and custody because it gets highly technical as a default with no agreement type case. It's going to be very time consuming and challenging to get those through the court. And number 10, myth, divorce always takes a long time in California. Fact, the duration of divorce proceedings can vary widely depending on factors like complexity, cooperation between spouses and court caseload. Some divorce cases can be finalized relatively quickly. We finalize cases very quickly, not even relatively quickly, very quickly. Yesterday, I finished an entire divorce case start to finish in one day, including having it filed. They're done. E-signed, E-notarized. I got to wait the 30 days. I E-file it. They're done. Still six months before the divorce, but they are done. They, they emailed me today. He said, Tim, that's it. I said, that's it. I'll email you in 30 days when I E-file it, and then I'll just be a couple of days for approval. Those don't enter the court system, meaning you're not having to see the judge. You don't go to hearings. It's all just in processing with the clerk's office, and it's a valid divorce. People say, Tim, is this is this it? I mean, it seems too easy, and I make it that easy. Keep in mind, the clients are also making it easy on me because you guys have to reach the agreement and the terms, and I will put you through the process. It doesn't. I don't care how complex your divorce is, like how many assets, how many debts, how many kids, whatever you're doing. I put together 15-page settlement agreements. That doesn't matter it's, as long as you guys agree on the terms that's what makes it easy. Um, the process can be complex. You know, we have our clients come to us, their judgment rejections, uh, misfiled forms, cases taking years and they're, and they're amicable, but we handle cases that are two, three years old that they've been trying to do themselves this entire time, multiple rejections, multiple errors, and they're in agreement and they're taking two to three years. So it is a complex process, but that's what I do as a business. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know if you've noticed they are longer. I thought this was going to go closer to an hour because we talked a lot of stuff today. But anyways, until tomorrow, this is Day in the Life of an LDA, Divorce 661 Daily Perspective, episode 38 for Wednesday, December 6, 2023. Talk to you tomorrow.